Whew, all right. You ready to get in the Word? You know, coming off the conference, obviously there were a lot of individual lessons, men's lessons, women's lessons, but uh, Mike Tolliver was actually the one that got to close out the ILC, did a powerful message, very convicting message, and it really did inspire a lot of what I want to share about passion today. You know, we're excited about our unity, we're excited that we love each other, we want to get together, but the honest truth is, we've slowed down in our mission. Worldwide. And uh, that's not just in other parts of the world that are more difficult. Actually, some of the more difficult places actually have been where most of the growth is coming. Uh, But it's actually like the states and others where we've gotten comfortable in just being Christians and just enjoying church that we really have wavered in our passion for the lost. And he really brought it home and called himself and all of us to having more passion. And so as I continue to study out passion, I realize that again, like I said earlier, it's, it's hard to maintain faithful passion. And so as I look at different stories, I'm looking at them with a different perspective than before. I'm looking, okay, here's someone with passion, here's an example, but why? How? What fueled that passion? And so we're going to revisit a story that many of you know, I'm sure you've heard many messages on it, but I want to look at it from the perspective of promises fueling passion. And this is true. Think of yourself as a child. And your parents ask you to do something a little crazy. Something that requires some passion. For example, jump. Jump to me from a tree. Jump to me from the roof. Jump for me. Just do it. And, and we're like, ah... Promise me you're going to catch me. I promise you. No, I mean really, promise me you're going to catch me. I promise. And it's something about the promise that fuels that leap. And I think the same is true in our spiritual lives. That a lot of times our passion is waning because we're focusing on all the other things and not the promises of God. So let's get the context. That's something I really love is getting what is the context of this narrative of Jonathan and the armor bearer. So let's go to 1 Samuel 13, and I'm using the CSB version. It says, The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Bethaven. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves, in thickets, among rocks, in holes, and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, however, was still at Gilgal, and all his troops were gripped with fear. You know what's amazing is only a few verses earlier, in the beginning of chapter 13, it mentions that there were 3,000 Israelites fighting army soldiers with Saul. 2,000 with Saul, and he gave 1,000 to his son Jonathan. And only one chapter later, if you look back to the story, he's down to a few hundred. See, when we get to a standstill, that's what's happening here. There was a standstill between the Philistines and the Israelites, but the Philistines had the high ground. 
And though they weren't retreating, though they weren't losing per se, they were definitely not having victory. They were definitely not gaining. And sometimes we think that standing still means to stand still. That's not true. You have a standstill, things don't stand still. Things get weaker. Things start to happen. We see here all the trouble that was taking place because they were accepting a standstill. Look at some of the things that were mentioned just in this short passage. They saw they were in trouble. Now, it doesn't mention the kind of trouble, but most likely, one, they're outnumbered. They have a worse military position. They're on the low ground. The Philistines are on the high ground. They're also taking a very important aspect of this land. If you actually look at it geographically, the Philistines holding Michmash actually separated the Israelites from one another. It divided them. They were in trouble. And I think if we're honest, because we're sinners and we live in a world that is corrupted and is falling, we too can see we're sometimes in trouble. I don't know what that trouble is for you. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritual. You're struggling with a particular sin and you're in trouble. You see it. But you're not fighting the standstill. You're just kind of accepting where you're at. It says they were in a difficult situation. Now, they have no control of that. And neither do we. Sometimes we are in difficult situations and it doesn't have to do with us. It's not our fault. Things just happen. Whether it's against us or just life happens. Right? It's like, no matter... It seems whenever we go away, there's always something i got to come home to and fix. Our washer and dryers had to be replaced. But i got to be thankful they lasted 20 years. So i got to be thankful for that. So I made them last as long as I could. Sometimes we had to do the dry run three times to get them dry. But hey, they worked. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, things just happen. It's difficult. I felt so bad for Bill and Sally as they were taking care of Emma. And the water would not drain. And they couldn't do clothes. I'm like, man, things just get difficult sometimes. What about for you? Some of them hid in all kinds of places. And we could even come to church, but spiritually we're hiding. Like Stan said, we're close to 300 people with our kids included, and yet we can't find five, six people to help serve in different areas. We're hiding. Because I know not all 300 of us are serving. I know the names of the people serving in the different ministries that are doing that. So some of us are hiding. Are you? Are you hiding sin? Are you hiding your passion? Now, I'll check in. I'll give. I'll attend. But other than that, I hide. That's what happens with a standstill. Some fled to the other side of the Jordan. They actually went outside of the promised land. God had promised us this, but you know what? This is too hard. This is too difficult. I I thought when I signed up for this, there's going to be victory. I'm going to the other side. And though it doesn't say it in this passage, we learn later, some of them even went to the Philistines. They just stopped being Israelites altogether. They stopped being Christians altogether. They still acted like an Israelite, but they were living like a Philistine. What about us? And then it closed with, Gripped with fear. 
is a very real enemy to our faith. It's the opposite in many ways. We've got to admit the fears that we have. I even think some of you who are hiding or not wanting to serve, fear is probably one of the reasons. Well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I'd be good at that. We'll find out together. And if it's not where you fit, we'll find somewhere else. But fear can paralyze us. And see, when we get to a standstill, we don't realize it's fear that ultimately just steals our passion away. And we're no longer willing to take risks. But if you thought that was bad enough, this next verse scares the living daylights out of me when you think about it from a spiritual warfare perspective. 1 Samuel 13, verse 22. So on the day of battle, not a sword or spear could be found in the hand of any of the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons. Now a Philistine garrison took control of the pass at McMash. Boy, that phrase really summarizes the predicament, the standstill that the Israelites were in. Only Saul and Jonathan had weapons. And one of the guys with the weapons was nowhere near the battle line. We'll find that out here in a minute. I think spiritually, from Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God, the only weapon given to us is the Word of God. Are we in a place now where we are supposedly the army of God? but we can't find the sword in our hands. We're no longer using it. We're not consistently reading it and listening to it and obeying it, letting it fight through our feelings and get to our heart. Can we correctly handle it? In fact, if God wanted to send growth to this church, are we even prepared to study with them? Are we at a standstill where we're no longer holding the sword in our hands? The reality is, that must be. It must be. If this is a predicament we're in, then there must be people not holding up the Word. And the more I get in with different city group leaders and hear different discipling situations, I hear it. People not even reading their Word anymore. And you think you can maintain being a disciple? Being a soldier of Christ without holding a weapon? You're not going to live. You're not going to succeed. And you won't just maintain the status quo. You will eventually lose your faith and your passion. But even despite this predicament, here's what I love about this story. All it takes is one. One person with some passion and some faith to turn it around. And we have a lot more than one in this room. (laughs) So if we could just get 10, 20, 30. But how cool would it be if it was all of us? To have a little passion. Promises feel that. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 14. We're now presented with the narrative, and it starts with two major contrasts between King Saul and his son, Jonathan. That same day, Saul's son Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, other translations, armor-bearer, Come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. Now, it doesn't say why he didn't, 
but I could guess. His father was one, nowhere near the front line. If he had brought up, hey, I want to go check out what's going on. I'm tired of the standstill. I'm tired of sitting here picking my nose. I'm a soldier of God. I want to do something. I got some passion for the Lord. Man, I got to move. But if I tell dad, he's going to say, no, that's too dangerous. Just keep the status quo. Hey, we'll, we'll maintain our battle line. They got the high ground. You know, facts are against us. We'll just keep doing guerrilla warfare. We'll survive. He, he's like, no. I'm tired of the standstill. I'm tired of the status quo. I'm tired of being afraid of hurting people's feelings. I want to go take a look. That's where it started. It was a simple little desire. I'm tired of this. I'm going to do something. Right. Now, it may be stupid, but it was passionate. <laughs> but what was so cool is he didn't do it alone. Now, he probably had a little power, being that this was his arm bear. you got to come with me, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. But we see later, no, it wasn't just because of authority he came. He got excited by passion. But then we see Saul. Saul was staying under the pomegranate tree in Migron, on the outskirts of Gebeah. The troops with him numbered about 600. We went from 3,000 a chapter earlier, now to only 600. Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, was also there. He was the son of Ahitab, the brother of Ichabod, son of Phineas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. There's a mouthful. But the troops did not know that Jonathan had left. Here's Jonathan. Let's go take a look. Yeah. And then you saw sitting under a pomegranate tree about a hour's march away from the battle line. Nowhere near it. So that's what happened, guys. When we accept a standstill in our lives spiritually, you don't actually stand still. You recede. You sit down. Your passion is taken from you. And that's the contrast that the narrator, God, wanted recorded. So what happened? But even if you have passion, be prepared to face some cliffs. Cliffs so big, they have names on them. See, because when you're passionate and everyone around you isn't, they can actually be the cliff. They can be the one like, hey, calm down. Stick with the program. I'm tired of sticking with the program. I want to do great things for God. And I believe you do too or you wouldn't be here. Amen. So let's see what happens. 1 Samuel 14 verse 4. There were sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Senna. One stood to the north in front of Michmash and the other to the south in front of Geba. Here he's passionate. Let's go see. Oh man. This is not going to be easy. But see, if you're truly a passion, faithful passion, cliffs should not turn you back. But you've got to recognize them. You can't ignore them if you want to see victory, if you want to have faithful passion in your life. You've got to name them. And so it made me think, what are the names of the cliffs we're facing? Could one of those names be... Fear. Or we make it more personal. Insecurity. Could it be financial hardship? Could it be personal loss? Could it be apathy? 
Could it be sin and name that sin? What is the sin cliff that you're facing? Could it be doubt? Could it be debt? What's the names of the cliffs that is stopping you from doing great things from God? What is it? You've got to name it. And here's what Jonathan does next in verse 6. Jonathan said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Yeah. If that doesn't get your blood boiling, I don't know what will. This sermon won't. This is exciting stuff. Here's the armor bearer like, okay, two cliffs, they got the high ground, I have no sword, you do. Come on! Let's go. That's exciting. But did you ever wonder, where did he get that crazy faith from? Because, guys, their faith, the faith narratives in the Bible were not done in a vacuum. They were just like us. They had context. They had influences, positive, negative, supportive, not supportive. They, they like us, needed the Word of God to fuel their passion. Right? Think about what he just said. The Lord perhaps could say, by many... Or by few. What story, what word of God possibly could have fueled that faith? And I immediately think of Gideon, which occurred before this, because you're wondering chronologically. Here's the Israelites, God's army, but they're being invaded. And God says, Gideon, mighty warrior, which he hadn't even lifted his sword yet, so that just shows you God's faith in your potential. Amen. It's pretty awesome. And he says, you're going to defeat them. You're going to defeat the Midianites. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have less soldiers to do it. What? And he weans it down from thousands to 300. By many or by few. What fueled Jonathan's faith? I believe it was the stories. I think we really have put the sword down and we're not listening to the faith-building stories that can fuel our passion to believe again that God is with us by many or by few. And even if He doesn't, at least I'm doing what God wants me to. Because the worst that can happen to us as a Christian is die. Which is actually the greatest thing that can happen to us because now we get to be what we always wanted with Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And yet, we can wane and accept the standstill. I think he was encouraged by the story of Gideon. Let's read on. How's his armor bearer feeling? Because remember, he doesn't have a sword. <laughs> okay? The only one who had a sword was Saul and Jonathan. So he's like, okay, great idea! Now here's his heart. His armor bearer responded, do what is in your heart. See, passion has to come from the heart. It can't just come from the mind. You may make faith decisions, but passion has to include the heart. It's like more than commitment, it's devotion. Devotion is mind and heart. And if I were to ask any of the wise here, which would you prefer, commitment or devotion? Almost all of you would say devotion, because that means I get commitment too. But I get your heart. 
He says from his heart, do what is in your heart. You choose. Wow. He gave up the choice. Sometimes, guys, the reason we don't have faithful passion is because we're still trying to choose. Instead of trusting God. He goes, I'm going to have a start, Jonathan. You seem pretty passionate about this. You seem to believe that story of Gideon. Okay, you choose. Wow. He may not have had a physical sword, but he had the spiritual sword to say that. I'm right here with you, whatever you decide. This ought to tell us another little secret about passion and fueling it. Uh, You don't do it alone. See, passion was never meant to be privatized. Passion is always meant to be shared with others, and I think others actually help fuel our passion. Don't you think Jonathan was just a little more passionate after hearing that? Because there may have still been some doubts. He, he didn't want to have the standstill anymore. He was willing to do something, but i got to say that must have been encouraging. Do you have an armor bearer in your life? Are you the armor bearer to someone who needs it? These are great questions. All right, Jonathan replied. Boy, I love this. We'll cross over to the men. And then let them see us. What? If they say, wait until we reach you, then we will stay where we are and not go up to them. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, we'll just wait. They haven't moved for a couple months. You know, we've been facing each other. Oh, that's a good... But then he adds this. But if they say, come on up, then we'll go up. Because the Lord has handed them over to us, that will be our sign. Which would you have picked for your sign? (laughs) My human nature, I think I would have picked the easier one. Not Jonathan. Not the armor bearer. He's like, if we want to know if God's really with us, we're going to pick the more difficult sign. Because that's what faithful passion does. Are we fearful of making the harder one be the sign that God is with us? But as easy as that sounds here, again, it wasn't in a vacuum. From where did Jonathan get the faith to even put that out there in the universe? Where did he get the idea that like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to show ourselves to Him. Let's see, knowing God, knowing the stories, knowing His promises, He would like this one to be the sign. Where did he get that idea from? I believe he got it from the Word. Promises fuel passion. Let's read on and then we'll see if that's true. Verse 11, They let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistine said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come on up, and we'll teach you a lesson. Arrogance before the fall. They said, Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. You want us to go like climb up? They could throw stuff at us while we're climbing. Yeah, I know. The Lord has handed them into us. Where did he get that faith? Where was he filled with this passion? I believe it was the Word of God. Just like us, promises fuel passion. 
Look at these two passages from the Torah, from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that might possibly have been what he was thinking of. Leviticus 26, verse 7 through 8. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. One, not many. Hmm. Five of you will pursue a hundred, and a hundred of you will pursue ten thousand. Your enemies will fall before you by the singular sword. That's a promise to the Israelites. Do you think maybe Jonathan remembered that? Look at this one in Deuteronomy 28.7. The Lord will cause the enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will march out against you from one direction, but will flee from you in seven directions. Wow. Now, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if Jonathan was fueled by God's promises. Rather than looking at all the scriptures that condemned his sinful nature, like most of us do, if I were to poll you right now, who could give me a scripture about this sin? Most of you could come up with it. But if I asked you to share a promise about something, how many could? Just something to think about. Condemnation doesn't fuel our passion. Promises fuel our passion. Let's see if he was fueled to even greater faithful passion. Verse 13 of 1 Samuel 14. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. Hands, not hand. That means he had to put the sword away. Climbing up toward Philistines with swords. This is crazy. With his armor bearer behind him, who had no sword to begin with. Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. That's just cool. I can, I can just imagine. They're climbing up. And the Philistines going, look at these fleas. They're just, they're just coming out of the cistern, man. They are crazy. We're going to totally mess them up. We'll teach them a lesson. Yeah, oh, hey, they're still coming. Well, spit on them, man. Throw something at them. Man, they're still coming, man. They got this like fire in their eyes. I don't know, man. No, we got them. We got them. Just wait. They'll be here soon. And all of a sudden, they come over that edge. I don't know what it must have been like, but that hand must have... And it, and it just terrified them. Like, and, and they come up, and they got all the swords. They're huge. There's two of them, and they flee. That's crazy. And that first assault, Jonathan and his armor struck down about 20 men in a half acre field. What's that tell us? They fled from the two. Two men climbing up, and they fled. Jonathan swiping him and the arm bearer with no sword going, I'll finish him off. I don't know what he did. I'm sure at some point he picked up one of their swords. I'm hoping. But maybe not. Maybe he's like, I don't need it. I'm ready. That's, That's passion on a whole other level. Two guys took out 20 from the high ground. But here's what's so cool. When we have faithful passion, when we trust God's promises and we believe in God and we believe in His promises... God starts paying attention. Because up to this point, during that whole standstill, notice God didn't do anything? Now, I'm not trying to get into a theological debate. Yes, yeah, see, God, why didn't He do anything? Because God gives free will. 
And sometimes God waits for you to do something. I bet God was up there going, Guys, I promised you already, you'll have victory if you trust me. They will flee from you. But you're standing still. You're picking your noses. You're just looking across. You're hiding. You, you, what's, why, are you, why do you fear? You have me. And I wonder if God was just up to going. And then all of a sudden, Jonathan and his army is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What was that I heard? Come. Oh, I'm liking this. All right, Jonathan. Okay, oh, here comes a test. He picked the harder one. Yes. Okay, let's see if he'll actually do it, though. It's one thing to talk about. It's quite another to act on it. He's climbing. Let's make it a little harder. Philistines, you know, say some things, throw some things. No, they're still coming. Yes! They took out 20 minutes. Way to go! And then God got excited. God got involved. What if we all could be more like Jonathan Armbear in the Metroplex? What could we excite God to do that He's waiting on to do? Look what happens. Terror spread through the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Two guys? No, two guys with God. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and terror spread from God. I don't know what that's like, but it's crazy. And you jump to verse 23... Wasn't Jonathan and the armor bearer? It's not about us. It's about God. So the Lord saved Israel that day. That's amazing. But the question is are we accepting a standstill? Are we going to be Saul? Where we maintain our position, whatever it may be, but we're really just sitting miles away from the real battle? Are we the Israelites who actually are sitting on the fence? Maybe some of our teens. Maybe you're those Israelites that, yeah, you're part of the Israelite nation, but, you know, I'm not really committing yet. I'm going to just wait and see what happens. Are you the Israelites who actually fled? I'm leaving. That's it. I'm done. I'm going somewhere else. Are you even the Israelites who became Philistines? I'm just going to live a life of sin. I'm not going to commit. Or are you Jonathan and the armor bearer who trusted the promises of God? I leave you with these questions and then one final promise because I don't want to leave you with condemnation. I want to leave you with a promise that could fuel your passion and maybe get God excited to join on in. Are you at a standstill? You've got to admit it if you are. You've got to ask for help. You've got to face what's in front of you. Are you facing some cliffs? And put a name to them. Don't leave today just leaving it as a cliff. Put a name to it. Is it Bozaz? Is it Senna? What is that name? Let's, let's name that cliff. And then let's with faith climb it. And lastly, do you have an armor bearer? Because reality, guys, is we can't do this alone. We can't maintain, fuel, have, keep, passion on our own. We need an armor bearer. We need to be an armor bearer. It doesn't take all of us. It just takes a few and the rest will happen. And if you read the story, guys, you know what's amazing? After God sent the panic, the Israelites who had become Philistines came back. Followaways were restored. Those who had left the land came back and joined in the battle. 
That's what happens with passion. It affects all of us. It's contagious. So what about us? God's promise fuels passion. I leave you with these verses, and then Paul Sheldon will come up to close us in a word of prayer. In 2 Peter 1, 3-4, listen to this promise, to these words. His divine power, not ours, His, has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, Jesus, who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and condemning scriptures about our sinful nature, how wretched we are. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that through them, promises, trusting in God's promises to fuel faithful passion, that we may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of our evil desires. Let's go back to the Word. Let's pick up our sword. And let's find the promises of God to fuel our faithful passion. Thank you.